This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to our Friday, January 24th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. And if it sounds like I'm under the weather, don't worry. I don't have the coronavirus. Uh, I actually got elbowed literally right below the Adam's apple playing basketball on Monday. And so my voice box has just been kind of bruised and screwed up since then. So don't worry. I feel great. Nothing here, but apparently overseas, they're having a lot of issues, right? Uh, In China and they're quarantining cities. And we have the third confirmed coronavirus here in the United States. And this has become a much bigger concern than it was just a few days ago. Uh, and, and clearly, we'll, we'll have more, more information by Monday when the market opens. But today was one of those days where other factors than earnings or interest rates or the value of the dollar played into what the market did. Uh, and... History says that's tend to be a short-term blip, but these pandemics can become bigger. So it'll be very interesting to see if this expands. I hope it doesn't for the sake of the world, um, but clearly we're in some interesting times in many ways and especially in, in China here. So uh, that was the main driver of the market today and... With that, there's a lot of other factors as well to discuss. So I hope you have made some New Year's resolutions to make 2020 a year to optimize your portfolio because of, this is a good example of things like this, unforeseen events that can derail the markets, derail economies, and bring volatility to the market, right? And that's what you're seeing over the past few days, and especially today. The VIX was up pretty dramatically I think it was up about 20, 30% for most of the day, ended up about 10% or so, 12%. But still, volatility is increasing. And these are the type of events that we're, we're here to, to help you, help you understand what it means for your portfolio, for the markets, for economies. And some people should react to it, some shouldn't. Some people, it's a reminder that Central bank money printing doesn't just create wealth indefinitely. There are side effects and there are other things that can derail markets and create volatility. So developing a strategy, developing a portfolio that meets your performance objectives and now risk tolerances is always important. And that's what we stress here each and every day on Invest Talk in order for you to work towards your own goal of financial freedom. So I'm Justin Klein. I hope you will call me in this hour. We can talk about the coronavirus, a lot of different uh, topics today, and I want to hear from you. You can get through to our Invest Talk radio show program and podcast each and every weekday at 888 99 chart. So the phone lines are open. 
and we're going to help you as much as we can today. Now, I'm doing the show on a Friday, which is pretty rare because Steve is off and running on his new consultation road trip. He was in Dallas, Texas today meeting with listeners. I believe he's going to do Houston, Texas in a couple months and then maybe even Chicago. So uh, be on the lookout for those dates. But he's going to be in New York City next week, Monday and Tuesday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm sorry. And I think he has a couple more appointments open there as well. So if you want to sit down with him or myself, maybe in the Bay Area coming up, please don't hesitate to go over to investtalk.com, click on portfolio review. Now, my main talking point today concerns the story millennials are way behind on home ownership compared to the baby boomer, boomer generation before them, and there are some big reasons for that. And the, the number is 34% to 4%, and I'm going to cover what that number is here in a little bit, but we're going to explore what is going on here and talk about that. Also, refreshing, rebalancing your portfolio that can mean different things. Rebalancing a portfolio isn't always just moving some money from equities to bonds. It can mean other things. It's not always just reducing risk. It can mean freeing up cash flow. So there's a lot of factors that go into rebalancing a portfolio and what your ultimate goals are. So we're going to touch on kind of that thought process around that rebalance. And then FICO is updating its credit score process. And I think that will be interesting to look at. That's going to happen this summer and how that might affect you. And then lastly, as we're in the midst of trillion dollar deficits and uh, Fed monetizing our deficit, healthcare is going to become a more important factor to our personal as well as fiscal deficit ongoing in the future. And I'm going to talk about ways that maybe we can we can adjust policy to handle that in the future. Let's go to a live caller. Let's go to Bill in Fremont. He wants to talk about dividend yields. How you doing, Bill? I'm okay, Justin. How are you? Good show. Doing great. Yeah, thank you. You want to talk about dividend yields? Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to talk about you playing basketball first. You got nailed, huh? <laughs> Yeah, I just, you know, it's guarding somebody in the post and they threw an elbow and, and got me right in the throat. It was pretty, uh, it hurt a little, for a minute, but I kept playing. So, uh, I, but it's, I, uh, it's, it's I, bruised I, I, my I, vocal box a little bit. Oh, yeah. I got nailed in the, in the nose one time, broke it good, too. So I know how you feel. I was playing pickup games like you were. I used to do that in my early 30s all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been, anyways, I've been playing I wonder, basketball uh, for 20 plus yeah. years. So, oh, anyway. cool. I love basketball. Dividend yields. Uh, yeah, I was talking. Uh, Steve was talking about his last show about dividend yields. Uh, he takes the percentage mm-hmm. of that di- dividend yield and he uh, uses it against the stock price to come up with whether they can pay it or not. And also, uh, another question, if you don't mind, is they use the um, mm-hmm. the, the uh, forward earnings percentage. If it goes up, they use that against the stock price also to figure out whether uh, that's a value stock. I was wondering if you could explain those two ratios for me. Well, there's payout ratios. So what that basically means is, let's say a company pays a dollar a share annually in dividends, right? And they make $2 a share in earnings. Well, that payout ratio is 50%, right? They're paying out half of their earnings in dividends, okay? Now, there are other metrics like cash dividend pay ratio. So instead of using earnings as a metric, because earnings can be can be manipulated in, in many ways because of accounting. Some people, we like to use uh, cash flow, for example. So cash flow per share instead of earnings per share. And that it, it gives you a better indicator of 
how well they can actually afford that dividend. Because like I said, earnings is an accounting metric, whereas cash flow is more about a re- is more realistic of how much cash flow that business is bringing in each and every year. So those are, are the two ratios that we look at. We like cash dividend payout ratio a little bit better than payout ratio, but both certainly matter. Now, well, there was another question around, I forgot what that was. Uh, the, the earnings, somehow he matches the earnings uh-huh. with the stock price, or, or maybe it was the dividend question. Yeah, I'm 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 not sure exactly what what you're speaking to. Obviously, there's P ratios. There's a lot of different ratios that you you can look at, and all are very important. Whenever you're looking at at ratios, uh, a valuation, for example, you definitely want to look at it in relation to other companies within the industry. You have to adjust for size of the business, uh, economic mode. There are different factors you need to adjust for, um, but. Just a, kind of a blanket statement when you're looking at you know earnings to price, price to earnings, uh, et cetera, any type of ratio, you want to be comparing those to others within its industry and even the market as a whole. Great. Thank you very much, Thanks. Justin. Have a Thanks. good one. No problem, Bill. Thanks for the call and hope that clarified some things for you. This is Invest Talk, and I understand that many of you might feel the urgent need to get your portfolio in shape now that we're into a new year, a new decade, and that's that's normal. And we're going to talk about rebalancing a portfolio, but you're not alone. And at Invest Talk and KPP Financial, we want to help you reach your own particular version of financial freedom. So feel free to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley anytime at our KPP Financial office in Irvine, California. And now I'm ready to take your finance and investing questions live at 888 chart This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener, you may even have called a few times, but if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Eric in Minneapolis, and he wants to talk about oil. Hi, Justin. Appreciate you taking my call. I appreciate everything you guys no do. Love the podcast. Thank you for the kind comments. What, uh, what kind of question do you have around oil? I just want to know your thoughts on oil down here, and then also uh, what is your take on the dollar? Uh, can it, how much higher can it go? Thank you. I, I don't think the dollar can go a whole lot higher uh, unless the the Fed stops with its monetization of the debt. Uh, you know, it's going to continue to flood the market uh, with dollars. You know, creating dollars will create inflation eventually, especially when you have unemployment this low. Now we're not feeling it yet, um, but a lot of that has to do with the dollar being relatively strong over the past few years. Uh, now, if the Fed pulls back on that, right, and they they start to force some um, constraint on behalf of government, and I'm not just talking about Trump. You know, I've I know I've said Trump's tax cuts have expanded the deficit, but it, it's it's both sides of the aisle. Both there there are many contributors to the deficit, um, and 
the, the Fed's insistence to help monetize that and really juice the economy through monetary policy at every turn has allowed governments to continue to run larger and larger deficits and more spending and more tax cuts, etc., which has just put us into a deeper and deeper hole. So if the Fed stops that, right, stops allowing that, and it's going to create other problems like a weakening stock market, but will also create a stronger dollar. But if they continue to just print $100 billion a month and flood the system, I think there's no, there's no way for the dollar to really advance for any extended period of time. I think we're, we're near the end of that run now that, you know, we're four or five months into this QE4. So what does that mean for commodities in general? That probably means Instead of a headwind over the past three years or so of a strong dollar, you're now going to see a tailwind to commodity prices. Now, each commodity is different. Supply supply demand dynamics are going to be different, right? Oil is going to be different than uh, palladium and and, and coal and uh, gold and silver, platinum, etc. They're all going to have their own supply and demand dynamics. So oil is probably one of the weaker, I'll say that of the commodities from uh because supply because of fracking is still relatively robust however it's still going to get a tailwind from a weaker dollar and if you look at valuations in the space they're pretty depressed and uh, i talked about this yesterday on a cash flow yield basis oil and commodities in general just tends to mining are some of the best values from a cash flow perspective in the market today. So I like the space. I don't think that oil is going to skyrocket to $100 plus a barrel anytime soon. But I do think because of lower dollar, and the, the, the oil prices will be buoyed for some time, meaning staying above the $50, $60 range and in an area where companies can continue, oil companies, shall I say, continue to make solid profits in cash flow. So I do like the space from a value perspective. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We represent, we present this program with five new shows each week, Monday through Friday, and it's broadcast and streamed live in the four o'clock Pacific time hour as well. Hope you'll spread the word about Invest Talk to friends and families and head over to Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and rate and review. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888 chart This is Invest Talk. Justin Klein is here today, and Steve Peasley is in Dallas meeting with registered listeners who decided to take advantage of Steve's offer to receive a no-cost and no-obligation portfolio review consultation. It's all about financial freedom. And the conversation continues now. Your questions are welcome. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now, every Friday, Steve runs through some key benchmark prices. So, since I'm filling in for him, I'm going to have to do that today. The 10-year Treasury yield was down on the week to uh, 1.72%. And actually, close the day, 1.68%. Actually, if, I, if I'm, I'm looking at it at the close of the day. A uh, pretty decent drop. Clearly, there's some risk-off sentiment after the the scare 
so far, at least it's a scare. Uh, hopefully it's not a, a global pandemic or anything like that, but uh, that has certainly pushed people away from risk assets and into the safety of treasury bonds, which has pushed yield down a little bit. That'll certainly help if it stays there, uh, the housing market, because mortgage rates should go down. Gold prices also were helped partly yields dropping. Whenever yields drop, that tends to help gold prices, mainly real yields, and that's another formula, but in general, lower yields means higher gold prices, and clearly with this concern, people want, want safety, right, and gold is, in a way, its own safety vehicle for a lot of people. Oil was at $54 a barrel, down pretty dramatic over the past uh, couple of weeks, as the glut of oil supply globally kind of continues. And uh, that's why I say, you know, I don't love oil as the as the best commodity in the space, but I do kind of like a lot of the oil names because they've been beaten down a little too much. And Bitcoin, 88.41 per coin, hasn't had the rally that gold has had. There's some correlation to those two names, but it's not nearly as strong as gold prices, and therefore, if you're looking for an alternative investment, I still I still think cryptocurrency has a long-term 20, 30-year future of integrating into our lives, but it may not be Bitcoin, it may be something else, and it may be a gold-backed currency as well, and I think that's why I prefer, if I'm going with an alternative investment, gold is still the top of my list. Now, my main talking point today concerns the story that millennials are way behind on home ownership in relation to baby boomers. Now, in about this, the same age, it's a little bit different, 31 on average for millennials, and the same time back in 1990, baby boomers were about 35, so they were a little bit older, but millennials own only 4% of America's real estate by value, only 4 at this time in 1990 for baby boomers, that was 32%. Like I said, a little bit different age for four years, and that's certainly prime buying years, the, the early to mid-30s for every generation. But even in the next four years, I don't see millennials catching up from 4% of home ownership to 32%. Okay, So what's causing this? Clearly rising student debt, and the burden that is created for the millennial generation has limited their ability to buy homes. And this is why so much of the home buying today is on the move-up variety, not the starter homes. Okay, And while millennials are still expected to drive the market in 2020, that's mainly because they're just the ones that are in the market for homes more than other segments of the population. Now, most new construct, newly constructed homes in 2019 were devoted to upper-tier housing. So, this is, this is why I don't think the upper-tier of the market, housing market in the United States, is going to be that strong relatively over a long, you know, long term. I think you're going to have that consistency, you know, sub, say, a million dollars, depending on the market, right? You have a million dollar home in 
Nebraska, that's going to be much bigger and, and grandiose than a million dollar home in, say, the Bay Area, right? Which that's kind of a common home. It's almost a starter home in the Bay Area. Okay. So it, it, th- these are kind of general terms. I'm talking more on the coastal markets because those are the ones that tend to be elevated. But, and I've talked about this before, how the, the baby boom generation is starting to unload, right? Some of them are passing away, unfortunately. Some are moving into retirement homes. Others are moving in with their, their kids, right? Take care of grandkids, etc. So there's going to be kind of this glut of homes coming on the market in that higher bracket, shall we say, not the starter homes, okay? And that is, that's why I think we're going to have a more stagnant housing market over the, the coming next 10, 15, 20 plus years as we transition into generations. Not only that, but mortgage rates are at three and a half percent. How much lower they can they really go? You haven't, over the last 35 plus years, you've seen mortgage rates fall from 20% all the way down to three and a half percent, which has been a gigantic tailwind to housing prices and you're just simply not going to see that over the next uh, few decades so don't get so excited that you're going to see housing prices you know quadruple like they have over the past uh, 25 years it's going to be driven by incomes more than anything now the next invest talk by age group how much money have americans saved for retirement have you saved enough what can you do that story on monday I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. This is Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where principals and Talk hosts, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, are independent financial advisors. For clients, they are fiduciaries. Steve and Justin have a duty and a commitment to always place the interests of their clients ahead of the firm. This is different from the way many other organizations operate. And one way you can realize the benefit of an association with KPP Financial is to know that KPP practices parallel investing. This means that the personal investment accounts of KPP principals participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. It's an important difference. You can learn more anytime at investtalk.com. At KPP Financial, we offer independent thinking with shared success. This is InvestTalk. We're in a new year and the markets have already shown some volatility. But you can remain calm. Justin Klein is here, ready to answer your questions and provide his unbiased investing guidance. The phone lines are open, so call now, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. My name is Sean. I'm a 23-year-old, recent college grad. Just wanted to get your opinion on a stock, KR, the Kroger company, um, one I've been looking at for a while now. Bought it on the dip at about $23 a share done pretty well for me since then then just another general question unfortunately i had to purchase a new car have about thirty thousand in student loans i have a very slim emergency fund saved up and also want to buy a house i'm just trying to trying to navigate all of that and um 
figure out what I should do first, what I should pay down first. Look forward to hearing from you guys. Love the show. Thanks. Bye. Well, for anybody that's looking to pay down debt, you want to start with the highest interest rate debt that you have, whether that's a credit card or maybe it's a car loan, whatever it is, you want to start with that and start reducing that uh, as as quickly as possible, paying extra uh, on just the the basic payment that you are required to pay. Uh, So that's that's as simple as I can make it. Uh, If you're looking to buy a house, you want to be reducing your your debts as much as possible. Uh, debt to income ratio is very important. So what the, the debt servicing cost is. Uh, so you may favor ones where you could pay off a little sooner. Maybe that's a that's a smaller dollar amount, right? That will get that out of your way for whatever, you know, whatever that might be. So all those things are very, very important. Uh, but I always focus everybody on paying down the highest interest rate loan that you have first. And then KR, uh, you bought it well at 23 and now it's at 28.19 and they're pretty much the largest grocery chain in the United States. Kroger's, Ralph, they have a few other names as well. 2,764 supermarkets, convenience stores, and actually some jewelry stores, which is pretty interesting. So a little bit diversified, but mainly a grocer. And it's a slow growth name. Uh, revenue grew 1% each of the last two quarters. Uh, last quarter earnings grew or fell 2% and they grew 7% the quarter before that. So certainly not a high growth name. 2020 only supposed to, or earnings supposed to only rise about 3%, which is about in line with the economy, right? Uh, typically big stalwarts like this, they, they tend to not have too much cyclicality. Right there, there, there are other factors like you know minimum wage changes that can affect uh, companies like Kroger, uh, cost of products, inflation. Those things tend to be bigger drivers of inflation or, or profits in the the near term more than the economic cycle. But Kroger is a name that has a pretty decent amount of debt. Its enterprise value is only six and a half, so it is relatively cheap. I like that. Its cash from operations is starting to recover again, uh, and that's why I think it, it's on a, it's rallying over from 2016, call it, to 2018. Its cash flow from operations fell from 5.2 billion all the way to 3.5. Now we're back up to about 4.5. So they've righted the ship a little bit. So that's certainly a positive. And if that can continue then I think this is a name that has good long-term value because if you look at profitability metrics uh, like return on equity, right now it's 19%. And that is down from just a few years ago when it was in the low 30s. So I kind of like the name. The, the, the chart looks fairly strong. And even though you're up on it, I would not get too aggressive at cutting back because... Uh, I just think it's a good value. Uh, and long term, uh, they they are very profitable and looks like, to me, from a business perspective, they've been riding the ship. So I kind of like Kroger KR is the symbol. Thanks for the call. 888 chart 888-992-4278. We have mm, 20 minutes left in the show, I'm a little less than that, to get your call in and ask your question. Now, we are now into a new year, almost through the first month, and many of you may be looking to rebalance your portfolio, and if you're not, you probably should be, and there are various factors that can cause you 
to do that. And I'm going to talk about the steps in doing that rebalance. And everyone should be looking at this process on a consistent basis, at least once a year, probably twice a year, maybe maybe quarterly. Okay. And the first thing is to determine what you're trying to accomplish. Now, most people, when they're looking at rebalancing a portfolio, are, are talking about changing their risk profile, reducing volatility. And there are multiple ways to do that. But the main way is through asset class rebalancing, you know, moving from stocks to bonds. And over the past 12 years, pretty much, is long, it's been a bad decision to be allocating out of some equities and into some bonds because for the most part, almost every year, stocks have outperformed bonds. And the periods in which stocks outperform bonds clearly outnumbers periods in which bonds outperform stocks. But that's not always the 100% deciding factors because there's certainly periods where bonds outperform stocks. And if you're getting close to retirement, maybe you're in retirement, it will be very important for you to reduce risk over time. And that's probably the right strategy for you. One example is a standard 60-40 bond portfolio. If you had that uh, a decade ago, 10 years ago, and you didn't touch it, it's now 82% stocks and 80% bonds. So over time, that allocation can drift. And even though, even if you're kind of the, the calm long-term investor, if you're closing in a retirement, rebalancing can be still a very good idea. That's because if you have 82% of your portfolio in equities and you have a bear market and you're in retirement, that can wreak havoc on your financial plan over the long term. Now, there's other ways to rebalance like return enhancement. And that, if you want to improve your returns over time, that is intra-asset class rebalancing, meaning maybe shifting from U.S. stocks to some foreign stocks because foreign stocks have better values. You know, over the past five years, U.S. stock indexes have performed triple the returns of non-U.S. stocks. And most people will keep it that way because they don't know what to do. They don't have a plan. And that's really the most important thing is having a plan to rebalance. And so just because the last few years have been a one performance set, the odds are good that the next few years are going to be a different performance set when you look back. Okay, so that could also mean moving some from growth to value, from small cap to large cap, right? That's other ways that you can rebalance intra-asset. You're still owning stocks, just different sub-asset classes within one asset class. Another could be cash flow production. That could be your goal. And that would be a mix of asset class rebalancing as well as intra-asset class rebalancing. One way to do that is maybe sell off some of your growth names that become too much of your portfolio and just simply produce cash that you're going to use over the next 12 months. Right, So instead of selling off assets throughout the year, 
put that total dollar amount, maybe that's $20,000, maybe it's $100,000, whatever it is, into some cash positions, still earning a small yield, but make sure they're protected and taking advantage of a time where you know, it's probably a pretty good time to rebalance and reduce some equity exposure. So those are three kind of thought processes around rebalancing. That's step one. Then number two is find your current asset allocation and sub-asset allocations and then get a clear view of what is actually in your portfolio. And this is mainly for people that are buying funds, right? If you own particular stocks, it's fairly easy to understand whether it's a large cap, is it a growth name or a value name, et cetera. But you could own, in general, a fund that typically is large cap growth, but it can bleed a portion of the portfolio into mid cap or into the value side, right? And so really understanding the full composition of that fund can be very, very important to really get a sense of how your portfolio is allocated. And then you can compare your asset allocation to it to benchmarks. What is typical for somebody uh, of your age? Do you want to be closer to the the indexes or not? Do you want to have, for example, fifty five percent of global stock market value is in U.S. stocks, while ten percent of the globe's market cap is in emerging market or developed markets? So, do you want to have higher percentage or a lower percentage? So, having kind of that. The benchmark of the benchmarks can be important as well. And then focusing on rebalancing in tax-sheltered accounts to avoid tax consequences more than taxable accounts. That can be important as well. And then you can also make adjustments by simply shifting your allocations of future additions to certain types of accounts or certain asset classes, right? So say you're over risk on equities and all your in your 401k, maybe you want to shift all your future additions into safer investments. That's a one way you can adjust your allocation over time as well. So I hope that gives you a sense of, of your options and ways that you can really hone in on accomplishing your rebalancing goals. Now let's squeeze in another voice bank question that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, I really appreciate the show. I was just wondering what your thoughts were on for long-term investing in PEGI, Pattern Energy. Thanks. All right, P-E-G-I, Pattern Energy Group. And if I'm not mistaken... This has been bought out. Trying to see, I'm not too familiar with the name, but it's been trading basically sideways for about three months. And typically when that happens, when it's just trading in an extremely tight range, you know, talking less than 1% move over months, that typically means there's some sort of buyout here. So. I definitely want to look at that. And it looks like it was back in August, maybe? I don't know. I'd have to go back. Uh, yeah, it's going private. Pattern Energy go private in a $2.63 billion deal. So your uh, this is back in November. So it's being bought out. <laughs> so you could buy it today, but you're probably going to get the same value once that buyout is actually secured. Uh, it looks like twenty six seventy five. If 
the deal closed, supposed to be the second quarter of this year, based on this uh, this article I'm reading, and now it's at 26.89. So, sounds like you would probably lose a little bit of money, maybe collect a few dividends before then. But uh, overall, definitely not a name that you want to be buying because you're not going to earn anything. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk, and you're in good company. Our podcast downloads are on average about 450,000 per month, and I think we're about 19, about 20 million. Let's. I want to. I want to log in right now. I'm going to log in and look at this because I know we're pretty close to that 20 million mark. Let's see. Yep, we are 20 million 2,540 all-time downloads of Invest Talk. So. Stephen, I want to thank you for that. Please be sure to tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk and our website, investtalk.com. We have a lot of resources to assist you in building a solid financial future. You can check out our Riskalyze free risk questionnaire there as well to help understand your risk perception and benchmark that against your portfolio. And we can help you do that in one-on-one consultations, either over the phone or in person at our KP Financial offices in Irvine, California. We want to help you. So for now, our phone lines are open. Give us a call at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Justin Klein is here today, and Steve Peasley is in Dallas meeting with registered listeners who decided to take advantage of Steve's offer to receive a no-cost and no-obligation portfolio review consultation. It's all about financial freedom. And the conversation continues now. Your questions are welcome. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question. We have uh, less than 10 minutes now. So if you want to get your call in, you want to do it ASAP. Let's talk about FICO scores. This is an important factor for anyone looking to get a loan of any kind. Most people are looking at mortgages, but can be other products as well. And Fair Isaac Corporation, that's what FICO stands for, is, creates, is, is rolling out new credit scores this summer, calling it FICO Score 10 and 10T. And basically, this is changing the credit scoring model. And what it's going to mean is that if you have a pretty good FICO score, it's actually probably going to go up. So you're going to receive more credit for, pun intended, I guess, for being good stewards of your credit. And if you have poor credit and you're struggling to pay your lenders on time, you'll see significant declines in credit scores under these new parameters. Now, lenders obviously use a wide variety of credit score models to make these decisions. Uh, and what's interesting is a lot of them use older models. Uh, FICO score 8 released in 2009, and that's what most is most commonly used today. But if you're trying to get a loan, a mortgage, Fannie Mae wants to see more updated models. So uh, I think it's going to affect the mortgage market more than anything. So pretty interesting. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here, and this is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. We're going into our last segment, so you need to call now at 888-99-CHART.
on the next Invest Talk by age group How Much Money Have Americans Saved for Retirement? And if you haven't saved enough, what can you do? That story Monday. But now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Cami in Eureka, looking at Health Insurance Innovations Incorporated. How are you doing, Cami? I'm doing great. Um, thanks for taking my call, Justin. I've been listening for a year and a half or so on the podcast, and it's super helpful. Um, I bought the HIIQ. I was trying to get a little bit more into the healthcare stocks. I got Teladoc and United Health, and I don't know why I picked that one at about 23. And I thought it was going to do well. And then the last, right after the last earnings, which I didn't think was that bad, it, it's gone down and hasn't gotten any better. So I'm wondering if it's a value play and I can buy more, or I, when I what I can look at, I don't see anything wrong with it. So I'm just wondering why it's not doing very well and if I should just kind of um, stay where I'm at or buy some more of it. Yeah, this is a pretty interesting name and for everybody else, they are a health insurance broker but they administer affordable individual health care ins- uh, insurance plans that are sold throughout the United States uh, and they, they leverage a cloud platform to do that, uh, I'm sure in ways to make it more efficient, etc. and lower the cost of the plan. So uh, I'm not too familiar with the intricacies of their business, but uh, that looks like uh, the, the the gist of it. Now, from an enterprise value EBITDA basis, it's trading at 13, which is not expensive. But what you see here is a growth name that is, at least from market's perspective, broken, right? Uh, two years ago, fourth quarter of 2017, revenue was up 35%. And Last quarter, revenue was only up 5%, and the quarter before that, revenue was down 19%. Even though earnings continue to grow, which is what I like. you know, I'm, I focus more on the earnings side, and the earnings looks like it continues to improve. So I think unless those earnings are being manipulated in some way, and maybe the market's seeing through that, I'd have to really dig into what that means uh, and whether those are actually true earnings. I would I would really uh, be curious on you know what's happening with the business. Now, cash flow operations is negative. It remains negative, and it actually was positive back in 2017, and now it's become negative, and I don't like that. So the trends there, uh, let's look at EBITDA as well. That is, that is declined, but it's starting to improve a little bit. So certainly a mixed picture here, but it looks like a, a growth name that at least from the market's perspective, is broken. Now, technically, it's had a strong pullback from its high uh, in late last, late 2018 of you know, a little over $60 a share. Now we're at, like you said, $21.50. Uh, but it's starting to make higher highs. Technically, it's starting to look a little stronger. Um, so I really need to understand why analysts are expecting earnings this year to be $4.84 a share. Is that true? Is that real? Because if it is, Yes, it's definitely a good value, um, but there are some worries about what I'm looking, I'm seeing on the back end when it comes to to cash flows. So I'd monitor that. Um, but technically, I am kind of liking it. It's still 261 million dollar market cap. If I'm going to buy an insurance company, I definitely a health insurance company. Excuse me, I would be looking at liking this name a lot more than like United Health. So I kind of like what you're looking at. 
I would need to do a little more digging, but based on the valuation, based on the the the, the, the growth of earnings, I kind of like it. And there's not a ton of debt on its balance sheet, so I'm going to give this a thumbs up because of the space, because of its relative valuation, and because of its chart. So. I would be a little more patient and use that recent low uh, of last year as you're out. And I think that limits your, your risk profile. So thanks for the call, Cammie. Now it's Friday. The weekend is almost here. And we've collected a good number of calls throughout the week. So let's take one now that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi. I'd love to know your thoughts on the show of Invitae. N is in November. V is in Valentine. T is in Tom. And A is in Apple. Thank you. All right, this is Invitae Corporation. They provide genetic diagnostic testing for hereditary disorders and targeted panels. I love the space. I like companies in this realm. The problem is, is that they continue to lose money and just hemorrhage cash. And it's one of those biotech names that you're investing in the IP. Uh, maybe they get bought out by a larger corporation that knows how to monetize it better but they haven't been able to, to do that so, so far and everything just from a financial perspective continues to get worse. So this is a lottery ticket that I'm just not a fan of right now because of the fundamentals, but I love the space. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I'll be here Monday. Steve will be on his way to New York City where he will be meeting with listeners on Tuesday and Wednesday. So if you want to sit down with him then, Go to our website, investtalk.com, and schedule an appointment. Please remember to access our free Invest Talk podcast downloads at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify as well. And be sure to listen, rate, and review. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered and offered to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein, chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.